What's going on, guys? It is another breakdown beta. As with the rest of this week, we've been doing a curation-style podcast, so three pieces of news with a quick what the news was and why it matters. Uh, and so at the end of this week, I'm going to switch things over. Uh, I'm sharing a survey to get your sense of this um, this week, and uh, we'll try something different next week. But without any further ado, let's talk about our three topics this week. We're going to talk about Tiananmen Square and what it means in the context of the current political landscape. We're going to talk about a Bitcoin report from Bloomberg, and we're going to talk about today's jobless uh, claims. I guess actually it's the today's unemployment numbers, uh, which is a different statistic. So let's start with Tiananmen. Uh, 31 years ago yesterday, uh, on June 4th, was uh, the Chinese decision to crack down on Tiananmen Square protests that had been going on for uh, weeks at that time. This resulted, obviously, in the famous image that is indelibly associated with that uh, that time, that protest in China. And we don't know exactly how many protesters were killed uh, during that during that protest, but it seems like the number was significant. Uh, British intelligence cables that came out or were declassified in 1997 suggested that it could have been in the thousands. So uh, a huge amount of repression uh, and state violence towards peaceful protesters. This matters in two different contexts, I think, that I wanted to share. So the first is uh, the shifting changes in the relationship between China and Hong Kong. China is asserting more control over Hong Kong. They have passed a new law that by next year would make it illegal to even discuss things like Tiananmen Square in Hong Kong. Effectively, they are no longer treating Hong Kong as a special situation. They are treating it as part of China. And that has major impacts, uh, certainly for the residents of Hong Kong, who have enjoyed a different type of freedom than uh, than, than other mainland Chinese people have uh, in terms of political representation, in terms of even markets and, and certain rules there. And I think it also reflects a, a China power consolidation more broadly, right, where China is trying to position itself in a different way for a different future. So I think it's important to keep track of uh, that story in that light. Now, there were some folks in Hong Kong who defied a ban uh, for the first time since the massacre. They were not allowed to organize in remembrance, but some people still did. So it's a it's an interesting, intense time in Hong Kong and a story to continue watching. Now, the other relevant why for that particular news is there is obviously context now in America for questions of police militarization and the use of force when it comes to protests. There has been a huge blow up because the New York Times posted an op-ed from Tom Cotton, a senator in the U.S., advocating effectively for extreme force with protesters. And there's a huge number of reasons why this has caused a hullabaloo, but it was particularly egregious in the context of the the history uh, of the time when this op-ed came out. The, the op-ed was published at basically the exact same time that Chinese military would have been thinking about and deciding 31 years earlier to go in and uh, and use incredibly violent and deadly force to to stop these protests. So is incredibly um, tone deaf and outside of history, and I think reinforces a uh, a segment of the U.S. political establishment that is trying to convince the world that there is already uh, a new Cold War between the China and between China and the U.S. And uh, I think that there are incredibly important conversations to be had about that relationship. As you will see, my entire episode today on the main stream of The Breakdown is uh, with a China expert who gives a basically a, a 90-minute uh, primer on the U.S.-China relationship. And it's not 
easy. It is incredibly complicated. There are really serious issues of uh, both values and power. Um, but I think that to assume that somehow we are already in some state of, uh, of irreparable conflict like a Cold War would be a mistake. So anyways, more on that later in the main show. All right, second today, an extremely bullish report out of Bloomberg Intelligence. So this is a group that does research on different segments of the market. They've talked about Bitcoin before. They were also a laudatory last uh, last edition of this, which I think was about a month, month and a half ago, basically seeing that the response of Bitcoin to the crisis had suggested um, some pretty serious resilience. Uh, they're back with another report, and it is, if anything, even more bullish on uh, on Bitcoin. Now, the headline is uh, about a $20,000 price prediction. Uh, they, they're making a prediction that uh, Bitcoin is going to return to all-time highs this year and that basically something would have to go very wrong, and these are sort of their, their sentiment, for Bitcoin to not appreciate. And a lot of the context has to do with the specter of inflation on the back of central bank money printing. Now, uh, interestingly, I think that there are some pretty... Uh, fascinating counter arguments or counterpoints to the idea of looming inflation. That's obviously been context for many of my interviews lately from Jeff Snyder to uh, Brent Johnson to Lynn Alden. But either way, I think that narrative really matters. And uh, and we're in a, a confusing situation that certainly even if inflation isn't happening, um, there are major questions uh, being called into uh, around fiat currencies and, and how they work in the world and how strong they really are. So that's all interesting narrative context. I think it's an additional narrative context to the extent that uh, these protests continue to see stronger and stronger crackdowns and we potentially see um, threats of uh, financial shutdown of disrupting elements uh, that could increase the narrative around Bitcoin censorship resistance properties as well. Um, Billy Bamberg wrote something for Forbes yesterday about exactly this, about the need for Bitcoin and other digital currencies in the context of protests and civil action where one of the available tools to governments is to shut down financial sources. So I think that there's going to be a lot more conversation about Bitcoin continuing through 2020 uh, from a number of the different dimensions, both its hedge against inflation properties, but also its censorship resistance properties. All right, last up, let's discuss the jobs report. So basically, there is a difference between the jobs report and the uh, and the unemployment claims. So unemployment claims are one measure of potential unemployment. Those come out on Thursdays, as we've seen. Uh, and uh, they, they reflect how many people are trying to get unemployment benefits. The jobs report is different, and it's processed in a different way. And it basically is a, a, a more, an even stronger indicator to markets about what the real state of, uh, of jobs and employment is in the economy. Wall Street had been estimating for a decline of 8.3 million jobs, which would have had a jobless level of 19.5%, which would have been the worst since the Great Depression. Instead, uh, non-farm payrolls rose by 2.5 million. So we saw an increase, in fact, the biggest increase ever in U.S. history of 2.5 million jobs. Uh, as And theoretically, I guess this is about the economy restarting to recover from the coronavirus. So the unemployment rate fell from 14.7% last month to 13.3%. Now, there's a lot of things to think about this. First is 14.7 uh, to 13.3. 13.3 is obviously an enormous number. 
uh, and shouldn't be dismissed. Now, of course, if it's a trajectory and it suggests that there is good news ahead and that the confidence that these shutdowns and the uh, unemployment from them would be temporary, that's a good thing. Um, there are some real questions around these numbers. And holding aside any questions of uh, cooking the books or anything like that, right, any sort of political intrigue, the more relevant thing to me is that it seems that there may have been a classification error. So there were a large number, and this is from the BLS themselves, so who does this, there were a large number of workers who were classified as employed but absent from work. Uh, it is apparent that not all such workers were so classified. BLS and the Census Bureau are investigating why this misclassification error continues to occur, and we are taking additional steps to address this issue. If the workers who are recorded as employed but absent from work due to other reasons, over and above the number absent for other reasons in a typical May, had been classified as unemployed or temporary layoff, the overall unemployment rate would have been about three percentage points higher than reported. So basically, uh, 3% higher unemployment, we would have gone from 14.7 to 16.3, except for this classification error that had a number of people who weren't working classified as employed, but not working, even though they were actually laid off. So this is a pretty significant shift because it obviously totally fundamentally shapes the narrative that the media is going to push. And it's kind of buried as, oops, it's an error and we'll figure it out, which just seems uh, ludicrous to me. Um, so anyways, markets are responding really positively to this. And you know, I certainly don't want to be a, a doomsayer. I hope that uh, things do recover quickly, right? It's There's no, no, no doubt about that, that that is a, the best possible scenario for everyone. What I worry about is when we get uh, kind of glib and dismissive uh, on the basis of bad information. So I guess just to wrap up, I asked a bunch of people, uh, or I asked Twitter really, what its hot takes were, and uh, and uh, there was a, a kind of a variety of answers. Uh, Maddie Greenspan says, finally a bit of good news, but still just a reversion towards the mean. These were the easiest jobs to get back on. Unrest still looms. The country's divide is getting worse into the election, so the U.S. problems are far from over. Gabor from Van Eck says, the new job numbers don't matter as much as the media portrays. Tens of millions were part-time or unemployed already with little to no benefits and very little pay. Kevin Kelly from Delphi Digital says one data point doesn't make a trend. Original PPP requirements had narrow window for businesses to spend funding, vast majority of which intended for payroll. Significance of next few reports only heightened after today's number. Someone else says absolutely horrible and now just horrible, still the worst we've ever seen. Someone else says it's a bull trap. So the the there's some skepticism, some optimism. Uh, certainly markets are taking it positively. But again, for me, the thing that just hangs off is this uh, this error, which seems to have misclassified a meaningful number of these folks, which would have had the unemployment rate go up between April and May. So I feel like there's a, a story here that we need to keep paying attention to, even if we are uh, rooting for it to be legitimate, right? Rooting for jobs to come back, uh, which I certainly am. But anyways, guys, that is the uh, that's the breakdown beta, I guess, whatever it is that we're doing here, uh, the, the experiment for today. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at NLW DMs, uh, email, obviously, nlw at whittemore.io. And I appreciate you hanging out.